Take your Bibles, please. Find Matthew chapter 6. While you're finding Matthew chapter 6, uh, just want to say thank you on behalf of Lori and me. When we come to town and have a chance to be with family here, uh, we have opportunity to worship with you. It's nice just to slip in, worship with you, and candidly, it's been during some of those worship experiences that the Father has directed Lori's in my path in these recent days, so it has been a sweet place to come to. Also, I hope that you are aware of the gift the Father has given to you in Brandon and Christy. Uh, I knew Christy back in Weatherford. Uh, I was a pastor at First Baptist Weatherford, and she was a college student. We had the privilege to pray over her as she was being sent abroad. And then to meet Brandon and know his heart for the Father, the realness, because when he preaches, you, you get the same Brandon here that you'll get in the street. And I love that about him, the honesty, the transparency. But there is a zeal in him for the Word of God and to be faithful unto him. He, he loves you, but he loves the Father more, which is the way you want it. So today, it's just a privilege to be with you and to look at Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. The reason we're there, a few weeks ago I received a text from a young man in Richmond, and I want to read the text to you. Uh, I'm changing his name because I forgot to get his permission to share this with you. So let me just share with you this text. He says, Hi, Mr. Becton. It's Bob. I was in the class you taught on prayer. You told me to let you know if there was ever something you could be praying about for me. And I've come up with something. I'm about to be a dad. Wide-eyed emoji. My wife will be 37 weeks on Saturday, and the reality of it all is hitting me. I'm excited to be a dad, and am not so much fearful of that, but the idea of stewarding this gift that God's given has been weighing on me. The world is weird, and I just want to lead my family well. And I have no idea how to do that. Now it's a sweating emoji. So, yeah, if you could join me in praying for this new chapter, I'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. When I read this text, the first thing that came to mind was to tell this nervous soon-to-be dad, you've got a good father. Now, I'm not talking about his biological dad because I've never met him. Uh, Bob is a fellow follower just like me. And I just wanted him to be at ease with this change, with this responsibility, with the weight that he's feeling by reminding him of the good heavenly father that he has. Candidly, if you and I would stop and do that, there's so much panic in life that would just calm, we'd breathe. So what I want to do this morning is... Do that. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer that Christ gave to us. <clears throat> the beauty of this, when you and I look at it, is yes, Jesus is teaching us what we should be praying, and he covers so many areas, but if you go to the heart of it, you're going to see what a good father we have because the Lord's Prayer talks about the Father's nature. It talks about his priorities. It talks about his example to us, and one of the hardest things that will hit us in life. It's even going to show us his protection and how insightful his protection 
is, and surprisingly, how selective his protection is. With one aim in mind, the Father does all of this to leave us in awe of what a good Father we have, which is to our benefit. So we're going to see all this today, and, and I promise we'll get out in time for supper. So take your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Let's start with verse 9. We talk about God's nature. Christ teaching us to pray. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. We begin with God's care. When you look at the Gospels, particularly the the Gospel of John, when Jesus talks about God over a hundred times, he calls him Father. Uniquely, in the Gospel of Mark, you'll find God referred to 50 times, but only three times is He called Father. But when He's called Father, those three times, it's in the intimate circle of those who know the heart of Christ. The twelve, or even the more intimate three, Peter, James, and John. Which is why you see in John's Gospel, this beautiful picture by Christ of God as Father. It's talking about the Father's care. As I mentioned that, there, there are some in the room that have a hard time really grasping how caring God is as a father because you didn't see that in your dad. I get it. And that was my dad. Uh, his biological dad was an angry alcoholic, and so his pictures of him was not one that was caring. So when the father opened his eyes at 19 to who he was, who the father was, and, and my dad repented, and my dad believed and, and surrendered to the father because of his drawing, my dad then said to, of the father, you will be more than I had or all that I had wished I had in my dad. The great thing of the father was that he exceeded everything my dad wished he'd had in his dad. But for my benefit, as I grew up with a dad who was godly, so I could see that in God the Father. However, I'm telling you to this day, my dad was flawed. My dad was still sinful. He was just covered by grace. Yet he was godly before me, gave me a great example. Still, the Heavenly Father and His care for me has been greater than even a good dad has been by His care. All right. Now, the beauty of this is when His care is given, it's given from a strong God. Our Father in heaven. This is the Father flexing. When I was four years old, I went to my dad. He was lying on the couch. He had his T-shirt on. I said, Dad, flex for me. Show me your muscle. And Dad just gave me his bicep. And I saw this ball appear. And as a four-year-old, I thought, my dad is so strong. He's huge. As I got older, I realized on his best day, my dad, when he stressed, was five foot eight, And in college, was 125 pounds. It took mom the first, four, first year to get 40 pounds on him. But even with all of that, I look back and say, yeah, it wasn't that big. But as a child, I was in awe of the strength of my dad. I felt secure. When you start in this prayer saying, our Father who cares, who art in heaven, when you use heaven, that's the Father flexing. Let me show you what I mean. When you and I pray, It is to the Father who is in heaven. So picture just for a moment, instead of voicing it from here to there, that you had the privilege to take whatever concern you had and literally voice it before God, which means you had to go to heaven to do that. Now, and before we do this trip, think in your mind right now of the things that are too weighty for you to carry or too 
confusing for you to figure out or too painful for you to resolve relationships, uh, health issues, finances. You just go through it and you've got one or two things that are just overwhelming. Now, take it to the Father in heaven so you can explain it to Him and ask for help. Here's what you will see according to Revelation 21. To get to the Father, you first have to go by the walls. There are four walls surrounding them. They are 20 stories tall and made of jasper. They're supported by 12 foundations. Each foundation is made of precious gems. Each wall has three gates. Each gate is cut from a single pearl. When you walk through an open pearled gate, you'll walk on transparent streets of gold beside facilities of transparent gold. When the glory of God reflects off this, you realize there's never night there, only day. There are no sirens, no hospital monitors. There's no sound of weeping, crying, mourning, or pain because the sovereign God is fully in charge of all things and there is great worship, amazing worship. And now you look at what you want to ask of Him and you realize there is nothing you can ask that He cannot do. But He will only do that which is in line with His character which is to your benefit and mine. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or I like the way the translation I read says, your name be honored as holy. Hallowed is the verb form of the noun holy, which means your Father is strong and he is separate. It's a beautiful word, holy. Uh, You and I can work our whole life to be good in the eyes of others, but we'll be nothing compared to the righteousness of Christ who is completely separate from anything that we have seen, known, or understand by our nature. And the beautiful thing is his nature never changes. He's not going to be one day today and moody the next. His nature is consistent according to his holiness, which allows us to rest in him. He's a good father. I say all this to to come to a story. Legend tells us that uh, when a Roman emperor had come from battle and had been successful, they normally go down the main street of Rome, and there's a great fanfare to celebrate the victory. Uh, The emperor's family was in the box for the emperor. His son was there, and he saw his dad at the far distance being able to come in. The little boy bounded out of the box, couldn't wait, made his way through the crowd, was about to run to the chariot when this huge Roman legionary stopped him. Hardened by war and scars and battle, legionary told the boy, you can't go. That's the emperor. And the boy said, well, he may be the emperor to you, but the man in the chariot's my dad. And he says, I get to run to him anytime at all. Can you hear this about a good father whose care and strong and character and you and I have the privilege to run to him anytime at all? Now, here's the issue, though. We can have that privilege by a good father, but suddenly it changes our view to think that we are the center of his world. Because of his care, because of his character, because of his love, that that we are the priority of his life. We are not. With my sons, when when they were young, I I tried to communicate to them and I tried to show them this. Uh, This is the the priority for, for me. It's a love for the father, a love for your mom, and then you. And, you know, it was hard for them to realize that they weren't the center of my world, that I had this tear. Uh, I've got a new uh, granddaughter, our first. 
She's uh, five months old. I've had, had a talk with her. And here's a picture of how she responded when I told her she wasn't my priority. Okay, it's just a shameless way for me to brag on my granddaughter. But what I want you to know is that face is our face. When we come to grips that we are not the centerpiece of God's world, that literally it is His glory, it is His kingdom, it is His will that is the focus. We come down the priority list before it comes to us. These other comes first. And the beauty of this is like with my sons, when I would tell them, I'm loving your mom first, and I'm showing you I love her first because that's going to secure your world. For you and me, when we focus on the kingdom of the Father and His will and realize that's His priority, here's a whole new expression. Noel goes from frown to yay. That's us. Let me show you what I mean. We go into the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verse 10. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he talks about kingdom, what's he talking about? This is a priority of the Father. The word kingdom is used in different ways in the New Testament. One of them is to talk about the kingdom of God that spreads within you and me as followers. As His Spirit enters us through salvation, which is a gift from Him, He then begins that conforming work that He talks about in Romans chapter 8. Uh, you and I still have territories of our life that we would love to have our flag raised because we want to be in control. He is moving to have control of all territories of our life. You find this in Luke chapter 17 verses 20 and 21 where Christ says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Because the spirit of the king fills you. What a gift. What a gift. Now, how does he conform us? It is by engaging us and allowing us, calling us, commanding us to be at work with him as he begins calling and drawing others. What a gift. You find this in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, where he says, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You plant it, it's very small, but it becomes a tree, it becomes a tree where the birds of the air nest within it. You see the expanse now. It's the beautiful picture of, of one life that's been called and drawn and repented and adopted and embraced. And you begin to see the Father fulfilling his beautiful picture of salvation. Now, here's how good the Father is for you and me. He commands us and calls us to be in the field with Him at this work. Why is that so special? When you and I are in the field with Him, we have the joy of explaining how good the Father is as seen in Jesus Christ and what He has done. We have the beauty of, of describing the gospel, how by my sinfulness, I, I was a wretch. There is nothing good in me that would warrant God ever adopting me. It was only by His grace that He did this. And I have a chance to explain this, like Philip did with the Ethiopian. I get to be the guide who, from my journey and my understanding, given by the Father, I get to describe this. And the more I describe it, the more I'm in awe, in the field with the Father. 
This is when I went to seminary. My dad said, you need to go find T.B. Maston. He taught my dad when he was in seminary, and T.B. Maston uh, was basically retired and in a room a little larger than a janitor's closet. And he just was still writing books, and students would go sit at his desk, and I would go. He had multiple degrees, and yet he said this, Mark, I learned more theology working at the end of a cornrow with my dad than from any degree I earned. Do you understand it's working in the field with the Father that we really get to understand our Father more, what is on His heart, the beauty of the gospel that we have experienced and has been given to us by grace? We get to see it in in those that we are there realizing that was me and without the grace of God, that's still me. And what a gift the Father gives by letting us work with Him in the field. What a good Father. But also, not only the priorities that we see, but also in his greatness. I'm going to, for those who are following me in my notes over here, I'm going to skip through this and go right to his involvement because I've got a lot on my heart and I want to make sure I, I get us out. Let's talk about his involvement with us. When you and I begin to go through all of this with now being engaged with him and realize his priorities, his kingdom, and his will we begin to wonder, well, are you then a distracted God? If that's your focus, your kingdom, your will, are you disinterested in me? Are you disconnected from me? Are you distracted from what's going on within my life? The beauty of God the Father is that He is an involved Father. And you see this in verse 11. A simple, powerful statement. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this word bread that's used in the Old Testament, it's always used or or most of the time is used literally. It's the bread that you bake, you break, you eat. When you get to the New Testament, by Christ and His teachings, it becomes something that's more figurative and spiritual. I am the bread of life. So whether it is physical or spiritual, it's always talking about a need. So the Father's going to be engaged in our needs. Now, our issue, my issue, is that I have a hard time distinguishing what is a need and what is a want. Are you with me? When you come to this, how do we distinguish the difference between a need and a want? For me, there are two ways. One is to do what King Solomon did when his dad died and he became king. The Spirit of God came to him in the night and said, Okay, what do you want me to give you? He was just processing all that he could ask. But he wanted to ask the one thing that would cover Everything. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, he says, Okay, give me a wise and discerning heart that I might judge this people. For you and me, if you wanted to take the layers of wants away and get to the heart of the need, discipline yourself just for a moment to say, If I could ask the Father one thing, what would it be? One thing. And it is so remarkable how all this other stuff comes to here and you get to the heart of what you truly need from the Father and how it seems to cover everything else. There's a second beautiful thing here. This word daily, daily bread, scholars thought decades ago that this was the only place in all of Greek literature where you find this word daily. This is it. They found it when they unearthed a papyrus that had a woman's shopping list on it. This is what I have to have today to feed my family. 
I've got to have this today. So when you and I start talking about give us this day our daily bread in an involved father, we often go so far out next week, next month, three years from now, with all the what ifs that we forget the father is involved today. So let's talk about the needs today. And, and granted, you and your life know exactly what's about to happen today. You, you know the meetings you're going to have. You, you know the, uh, the needs that you have as far as to acquire uh, resources, whatever it's going to be. But you know what's going to happen today. Why not start the day with that, with the Father, and go over those needs? When you and I know that the Father is engaged in the day, we rest even more. I would go to work and as a pastor, would, would already have my to-do list for the day set before I start. And that became the prayer list, going through that. And yet I found myself having walk-ins, having surprises that were never on the list that I had prayed through. A little bit panicked over that, to be candid with you, because I knew I hadn't talked about that with the Father. What am I going to do? I found in a biography of a missionary to China named Bertha Smith, this verse that was dear to her. 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says, My God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that at all times, in all things, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. So that became my catch-all. Father, here's what I know of today, but your eye of my day is better than mine. For the things I didn't know to pray, I'm thanking you now. You've already given me more grace than I need for what's about to happen that will surprise me. And when it happens, there's a smile that goes off saying, hey, this is that grace moment. We talked about this. But more than that, let's talk about the example. Because I shared at the outset, this is the part where Christ gives us a model of something that's going to be one of the hardest things for you and me. Forgiveness. And he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's talk about debts because it shows the beauty of his example. This is a word for sin that's used in the New Testament. There are actually five words for sin used in the New Testament. They, they give us uh, not only a, a, a picture of what sin is, but they also give us an idea of how it happens. For example, uh, one of the words means simply that the Father knows what should be done or should not be done. And any time we do something or don't do something that He knows should have happened, we've missed that mark and it's, it's a sin. But the other words for sin get to the heart of how it happens in our life. For example, one of the words means that uh, God has drawn the line not to be crossed. Yet the emotions got the best of us and we found ourselves on the other side. Didn't plan it, but there we are. We sinned. There's another Greek word that has that same line out there and you come to it, you tow it, you know you shouldn't go across it, but your emotions or your passions or your wants in the moment become so strong, even though you know it's there's a no, I've got to do it. And you sin. There's another word that says... Well, though God may draw a line, I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe there is a line. And just out of pure arrogance, I'm going to do this. Now we get to this word debt. It's a beautiful word because it means regardless of how you sinned, why you sinned, the backstory behind the sin, it doesn't matter. Yo, God. Yo, God. That's the reason I like this better than the Lord's Prayer in Luke's passage. 
You remember Luke's? This is why when you and I quote the Lord's Prayer in public, we get to that part, forgive us our, and there's mumbling out there. Because nobody knows whether to say debts or trespasses. I like debts. Because regardless, we owe. Now, here's the beauty of this. When we owe and come to that awareness by God as He opens our eyes to this, we get to know the forgiveness of God who says to us, now you owe me nothing. That comes through confession and repentance. Jeremiah 31, 34 says that He remembers our sins no more. As if you were taking a ledger of every sin. And then when confession comes that is specific and repentant, He tears the ledger out and says, I remember them no more. It's a beauty of forgiveness of a good Father who models that for us in Christ. But then enables us to know what that forgiveness is like when He purposes even the wounds that we experience in life. Uh, I've been a pastor for 35 years. I grew up in a pastor's home. And I know that people can get frustrated with the pastor. And I know people can voice their anger uh, covertly within the church that always makes its way to the pastor. Uh, After 35 years, I was carrying a pretty large suitcase of wounds, scars, baggage, if you would. And it was affecting how I was seeing life, every aspect of life. And I knew that I needed to get some help. So I asked an older pastor to meet with me. If you look at my hair, it's harder to find older pastors these days. But I sat down with him, and he said, Mark, right now you're having an issue with cataracts, spiritual cataracts, because you're carrying so much unforgiveness that you're not seeing everything the way the Father does. And it was a hard, honest conversation. But here's the end result of that. He said, here's what I do and what I encourage you to do. Imagine that you have taken a chair or literally take a chair and put the person who has wounded you in it. You describe to them everything that they have said and how you have felt about it. And then you tell them, you owe me nothing. He said, you really won't mean it the first time. But you keep saying it. You owe me nothing. You owe me nothing until it becomes real. And he said, Mark, with the spirit of Christ within you, your nature as a fallen person is not able to do that. You can't. It's not in your nature. But it's in the nature of Christ because that's what he does for you every day. Do you realize every day he puts you in that chair? Because I told my friend, I said, you don't know some of these people. I'll I'll do that. I'll put them in the chair and I'll say all this. But next week, they're going to do it again. He said, I know. I keep putting them back in the chair. And then the father revealed, and Mark, that's what I do to you every day. I keep putting you in the chair. Now, here's the beauty of this. By the father purposing wounds in my life where I have to be the forgiver, I also get to experience what his forgiveness is like for me. 
there is such a delight, there is such a joy to know you get to express that kind of love. What kind of love? The Romans 5, 8 love where it says, God displays his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. I was in the crowd. I was wounding Christ and he still loved me to render forgiveness to me. I get to experience that kind of love by being like Christ and his example and offering that forgiveness. It's a sweet thing. One last thing, and you've been very patient, and I appreciate this, but this is another area where how the Father is good, and that is how He's insightful with His protection. And we get this last part, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, I mentioned my boys earlier. Um, I had a conversation with my older son, John Mark, when he was in middle school, because I was struggling. Uh, with parenting him at the time uh, because there was so much that I was seeing happening or that could happen. And I, I, knew, I knew that I wanted to protect him from everything. But I also knew that if I did, I wouldn't be a good dad. I knew that there had to be moments where he needed to fall. I just wanted to protect him from as many moments that would damage him. But I also had to be purposeful in those moments where I wanted him to fall and experience growth from that. You find that same love of a good father in this. where It talks about he leads us not into temptation but delivers from the evil one. This word for temptation in the original language you'll find in James chapter 1 where it says that the father does purpose trials in our life and even purposes temptations, though he's not the one that tempts us. We're now talking about spiritual attacks that that happen. When you look at the spiritual attacks by Satan that take place in Scripture, you're going to see that you and I will never face a spiritual attack that has not been given permission by God. Example. Christ is tempted by Satan, but if you look at the text, the Gospels say that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. When you go to Job chapters 1 and 2 and everything that Job endures in his life, you go in those chapters and you realize everything he endured was first given permission by God, and Satan was the one that did it. So what we have is actually a good father that will even purpose the extent of the temptations so that we realize who we really are in him. All that we have in him. Let me give you two examples. One is Job that I just mentioned. After the father has given permission for Satan to do all this to him, even after his wife and his friends criticize him and, and wrongly accuse him that this was all because of his sin. And, and Job is wondering, Father, what are you doing? Out of all of this, you come to the last two chapters, 41 and 42. You find out one of the reasons why the Father has purposed this. It's a great truth that I need today, that you need today, that was given to Job. He says, Job, who are you to tell me? What is right? What is wrong? What should be done? What shouldn't be done? What circumstances to face? You know, have you created everything? But then he says this, I want you to hear me. 
nothing can thwart the purposes of God. I am sovereign. Then you get to Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. He's chained to a Roman soldier for two years. And he begins to look at the armament of the soldier and then realizes what the Father has gifted us in for those spiritual attacks. And one of the great things is a sword. I'll just talk about that. It says it's a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The, the Greek word for word there is not logos, which is the person of Christ or the printed word that we read. It's rhema, which means the spoken Word of God. It's more than what we read or what we've seen. It's what we know and what we speak is truth. Because if you look at Scripture, what it says about Satan, he is the father of all lies. That's his weapon is a lie. What cuts away a lie? Truth. The beauty of this, when you and I are under attacks, that the Father has purposed is so that you and I will come to His Word and realize what is real, because the Greek word for truth means real. What is real about the Father? What is real about us in the Father? And what is real about the circumstance? And then from Scripture speak what is true. In those moments, it allows us to flex the spiritual muscles given to us by the Spirit of Christ who is in us. Without Him, I would not have the DNA to flex like that. But because of Him, I do. He's a good, intentional Father. Now, we've gone through all of this because it started with a text. A young man who is panicked over the circumstance that he knows is a gift from the Father, but it's still overwhelming to him. So uh, I, I later wrote him this text as a reply. And I want you to know I could not send this text if I didn't have a deep conviction over how good the Father is with everything I've just shared. This is what I told him. Hey, Bob, thank you for letting me pray. When folks ask for prayer, sometimes I'll, instead of just saying, hey, I'm praying for you, I'll just write the prayer in the text. That way they, they, they get to hear what's being prayed, but, prayed, but also have the, the beauty of going back and being reassured of being prayed for and what has been asked. So thank you for letting me pray. Quote, Father... Thank you that in your perfect timing, you have purposed the birth of this child. Thank you for the many ways you will reveal your goodness to Bob, his wife, and family. Thank you for the ways you will use this child to display aspects of your nature. Thank you also for the many hours of fearful, dependent prayer Bob and his wife will offer you. I praise you in advance for the ways you will answer those prayers beyond what they ask and reveal yourself again as being amazingly good. Father, as for now, assure Bob in his fears just as he will many times assure his children in their fears and teach them to cast their cares upon you, our good Father. May he sense your presence carrying him. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, brother. So happy for you on many levels.
that whole prayer would be a lie if it wasn't grounded in how good the Father is in all His activity in our life. The ones that we are overjoyed with, the ones that we ache over, He is good. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for your goodness. And I pray that by your spirit that those who are followers, that you by your spirit have enabled them to not only hear what is true, but already begin applying it to specific areas where you've been speaking. And Father, I realize that in a gathering this size, not all are followers. There are some who think they are because they've gone through the church hoops. Others are just here longing. But Father, I'm asking this by your Spirit. For those that you are drawing, open their eyes. Not just to how we are before you, but first I pray you open their eyes to how good you are. Holy you are. And then we'll see ourselves in light of that and and know our need. So, Father, I'm just asking that you, for those who are not followers, reveal yourself to them in an amazing way and begin and continue that drawing. This moment of response, Father, I pray that it's an act of worship to you. Uh, not just the, the, the singing, which should come from the heart, but, Father, I pray there will be prayers happening immediately, Lord, that our response to you, letting you know we've heard you. So, Lord, this time is yours, and I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.